Well, good morning. I'm glad you're back again for part two. I'm glad to be back again uh, for us to continue a discussion on <clears throat> God's will in my life. Not mine, but mine and yours. And um, I realize that this can be a difficult uh, topic. Hopefully I'll be able to give uh, some more insight. So last week we ended... Maybe I should turn it on. There we go. Um, last week we ended uh, with uh, this slide. Uh, Jesus' statement, come to me, all who have tried and failed and are frantic that you've missed out on life and God. I will calm your restlessness. I will teach you God's way of life. Learn from me. I'm gentle and compassionate as a teacher and you will find rest, I promise. My teaching, Jesus says, is easy to practice, and my instructions are not hard to carry out. Of course, that's something of a translation and a paraphrase um, uh, from me. You may remember from last week why I said that seeking God's will is worth the effort, and there are four affirmations uh, that I put before us, and just to go through them quickly again, because God who is love, created us to live fully in his own joy, love, and goodness. And he wants us to delight fully in him and in others through that love. Also, God knows us entirely. He knows us better than we know ourselves when someone asks us, why'd you do that? And we go, I don't know. Sometimes we're telling the truth. God always knows. And sometimes when we think we know, God knows even more. And it's because of that that the fourth affirmation is so important. Because God who is love calls us to let him guide us in our relationship with him. If I don't know myself fully, but God does. If I mess things up, then surely if I can trust God who is good to show me, to lead me, that's what I want. I think you do too. Five affirmations that we got from last time as well as we looked through different things and just remind you of them. God is for us and he does not keep a record of wrongs. The second, God cares what we choose, but he does not secretly script the details of our lives. At least I don't think he does. I don't think scripture teaches that. The third affirmation is God has revealed his will for all things in his son. It's not some mysterious, dark and mysterious providential plan that we just have to almost use divination sometimes to figure out. It's not that. Fourth affirmation. And this I said last week, and uh, I'm still amazed by it. Um, in Romans 8, I've just missed this for so long. The Spirit prays for us according to the will of God. Now, I think when I'm praying for myself, I'm doing a good thing. 
But for the Spirit of God to pray for us according to the will of God takes it to a whole new level. And then finally, God's purpose for everyone's life, your life, my life, everyone's life is identical. And that is, we are to be conformed to the image of his Son. So today I want to talk with you about how do we do this. And I have come up with a phrase that may be helpful to you. I call it the way of wisdom discipleship. Now, discipleship, the best definition and description I've ever heard of discipleship comes from a fellow named Dallas Willard. And Dallas Willard says it this way, that discipleship is living the life that Jesus would live in my body were he I. Paul says it something like this, that the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. That is, that Jesus' life is lived out in me. This is what God calls us to. This is our purpose. This is my purpose. It's your purpose. It's everyone's purpose. As we are, in a sense, to be Jesus. Ash shall be phrased about that. You may know this passage as well. Micah chapter 6 verse 8. I looked at it long and hard and I've given a slightly different translation. But it's similar to what you're familiar with. You have been told, O person, whoever you are, you have been told what is right and what the Lord requires from you. You don't have to wonder, Micah says. It's real simple. To practice justice and faithful love. And to be wise by walking with your God. I hope as you hear this. That if you're the sort who has looked for and sought for the will of God in your life. In some difficult times and circumstances. I hope as you hear this that what you're hearing is. The white-knuckled, I hope I get it, I don't want to miss it. Is this a sign? Is that a way to go? Should I pay attention to this? I hope what you're recognizing is that much of the anxiety of trying to find the will of God for my life is an anxiety that we bring upon ourselves because we overthink it and overcomplicate things. And then finally, what Jesus says. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he wraps things up and he says this, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a sensible fellow who builds his house upon bedrock. Now the word sensible, I learned it as wise, will be like a wise man who builds his house upon the rock. And as soon as I say that, uh, some of you may be, you know, remembering the song from Sunday school, be a wise man, but it's more than simply wise. It is that, but it's sensible. That is, it's supposed to make sense, but we build on the words of Jesus. So what is the way of wisdom discipleship? The way of wisdom discipleship begins with this. When Jesus, the apostles command, we obey. I know that sounds simple, but how do we know? 
Here's where I tell you, not just because I'm the chair of academic affairs in the College of Bible or because I'm a believer, but here's where I tell you, if you want to know what Jesus and the apostles say, you got to read it. You got to spend your time in scripture. And just as an opening gambit, if you're not used to it, let me just suggest this. Matthew. Just read Matthew. Read Matthew. Read a chapter a day every month. Just read Matthew. And whenever you're finished reading Matthew, read it again. And when you finish the second time, read it again. Read it until you understand something of the rhythms and the ways of Jesus' teaching and life. The second piece to the way of wisdom, if it's given to us by Jesus and the apostles, do it. That takes care of a lot. But secondly, if there is not a command, we are to choose responsibly. And here is the rub for many of us because... Because sometimes our approach to seeking the will of God, we, we want a direct statement or what we think is a direct statement. Is this the person I should marry? Is this the job I should take? Is this the major I should have? We want somebody else to make the decision for us. And sometimes we want them to make the decision for us because if it goes wrong, we want someone to blame that's not mature. That's not responsible. I was an RA many, many, many moons ago back in the day at Lipscomb University. I was an RA on the second floor of the men's residence hall called Sewell Hall. And on the third floor uh, was a fellow that he got stuck in a loop, wondering what God's will for him was. I came later to find out from his sister that his question that he wanted God to answer, that he did not get an answer for, not even before the EMTs rolled him out on a gurney to go to the psychiatric ward before God, I'm telling the truth. He wanted to know what color of socks he should put on. Because you see, in his mind, every decision needed to be guided by the will of God. And so, because it's not in scripture, he decided he would just lay in his bed until God made it clear to him. And he was there, we think, for three days without getting up. Now, Sometimes I tell that and people will chuckle at, oh, how silly, but that's the last thing that I want you to do. I want you to recognize that there are ways of going about this that are very unhealthy. And for him, he had a misguided conception of this whole business and it hurt him. It hurt his family. But he simply needed to choose responsibly. White tube socks up to the calf, 
would have been perfectly fine. I don't think God would have cared. Third thing, when we choose, we seek wisdom. Now, wisdom, wisdom is a wonderful thing. In fact, you really, unless you're just checked out and not paying attention, wisdom is something that you can't miss. Because if you make a decision and it fails, if you go back and debrief and think about it, you've gained wisdom so that the next time something like that happens, you know to avoid it. But if you take a decision and it succeeds, then the next time you have a similar decision, well, you've got the wisdom of having had that decision made before. Wisdom is a wonderful thing, and we can seek it in several ways. We'll talk about that in a moment. And then this. After we choose morally and wisely, here's where we simply let it go. We trust that God who is good that he will work all things together for good for those who love him. Now, I noticed earlier today that there's a missing word up here in that last one. It's the word work. We trust God to work all things. And I left that there without the word work so that you would know that I'm not perfect. I didn't want you to be mistaken about that. Now, you may remember this fellow that we had last week. The rejected marriage proposal. And we left him right here at Psalm 37, 7, where the passage was, be still and wait patiently for the Lord. Okay, so that's where we left him. But let's revisit him again. Remember, he gave a marriage proposal and he was rejected. So what would the way of wisdom look like here? Well, there was a passage that we started with, and it's a good one. Proverbs 3, 5 In six, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path smooth. It's a great passage. We can trust that. But there's more. Remember, go back to what I said, where Jesus and the apostles have something to say, listen to it. And in fact, they do. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul has this section talking about various marriage scenarios. And he says in one place to the married, I say this. Basically, I would prefer, he says, you remain unmarried. But if it's not possible for you, it's better for you to get married Then to burn, some translations say burn with passion. He says there are legitimate reasons to get married. And then later in dealing with another scenario, he tells those who are widows that if they want to remarry, that they are free to remarry, but only in the Lord. And so here we begin to see the wisdom of what scripture teaches about marriage. You're free to marry but marry someone who is a believer who will assist you uh, in your faith. That would be the moral and wise choice. And then you may remember we also looked at James 1.6, where it says, let him ask in faith without doubting. But there's more to this passage. If any of you lacks wisdom, it says, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. If I were paraphrasing that, I would say without ripping it back or without being snide, without being an I told you so, without rubbing your 
your nose in it. And wisdom will be given to them. Let them ask in faith without doubting that God will do it. Yes, but what about... What about those passages that seem to suggest God has a unique will for your life? And we go to the Old Testament and we I've chosen three different examples. What about Moses? Well, Moses encountered a burning bush, or rather it encountered him. He wasn't looking for it. But then we also learn that Moses sought wisdom. In Exodus 18, he's with the Israelites and he's making all kinds of decisions, but he is getting worn out and he asks his father-in-law about this. His father-in-law says, well, here's what you should do. You choose people who are faithful, who are above being bribed, and you let them make those decisions and they will bring the ones that they can't figure out to you. Let God handle it through an administrative system. Moses sought wisdom. What about David? You may remember David had problems with his kingdom. He had a son named Absalom who was usurping the throne from David. And David is ready to go out with his men and hunt down Absalom and bring him back. And his men say, no, no, David, you need to stay here. We will go look. And David said to them, to paraphrase, I'm not liking it, but I trust your judgment. And so David chose the way of wisdom. And then even something as mundane as Paul. Paul was supposed to carry a huge collection of money that he had gotten from various churches all the way back to Jerusalem. And in 1 Corinthians 16, Paul writes this church and he says, and whenever I get there, I don't want you to have to make a huge collection. I want you to, to in fact, have the money ready. And if it is advisable that the fellows that you say should accompany the money, if it's advisable, I'll go with them. He sought wisdom. But maybe you grew up thinking that you've got a unique purpose. I'm here to tell you, your purpose is to grow up and be like Jesus. But if you have a unique purpose, something unique only to you, can you miss it? If you have one, no. Because if you will go back to all of the examples that you might use from scripture about your unique purpose and how God had people with unique purposes, here's what you will find every time. Those who had a unique purpose weren't seeking it. And God made it known to them often in a surprising, unannounced, unexpected way what I like to call a two-by-four upside the head. They didn't miss it. You're not going to miss it. God is that good. Otherwise, go about your life. Be like Jesus. This is the will of God for your life. But if you want to know what it looks like, if you want to know what you should obey, read your Bible. And we end 
where we began last week. Augustine, late 4th century bishop, has these words, you have made us for yourself, O God, and we are restless until we find our rest in you. Seeking the will of God is not meant to create anxiety. I hope after last week and today, if you've been anxious, that this has settled your heart. Spirit of the Lord Jesus, take these words, place them where they need to go for each and every one of us. Amen. You are dismissed.